Good day, listeners. Jonathan Darty here with another edition of the Pure Sex Radio program. Most married Christians cannot answer the question, what does God say a good sex life is supposed to look like? This statement is made by our special guest, Dr. Julie Slattery. Julie is an author, speaker, and co-founder of Authentic Intimacy, a ministry dedicated to reclaiming God's design for sexuality. In our conversation, we discuss how Julie answers this question about a good sex life from her latest book, God, Sex, and Your Marriage. We first cover why there's a disconnect between God and sex, even in the church. Then we unpack the four pillars of a great sex life, faithfulness, intimate knowing, sacrificial love, and passionate celebration. To learn more about Julie and her ministry and resources, visit AuthenticIntimacy.com. For more resources, visit BeBroken.org or check out our links in today's show notes. And we'd really appreciate it if after the show you would rate and review the podcast in order to help other people to find it. Pure Sex Radio is produced by Be Broken Ministries, and Be Broken's mission is to help men, women, and families move from sexual brokenness to wholeness in Christ and equip others to do the same. Now let's dive into today's conversation with Julie. Well, all right, Julie Slattery, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's good to talk to you. It's been too yeah, long. You know, it has been a little while, uh, even though you are one of our most repeated guests on the program. Uh, I was looking back and realizing that the first um, podcast that we did with you on the program was back in 2017. So it has been a little while since we first had you on. But you, your podcasts that you've done on our program have been some of the most downloaded uh, conversations that we've had. And one of the reasons I think that's true, Julie, is that, you know, you don't uh, you don't like to live in the shallow end of the pool, it seems to me, you know, you, you like to go down to the really deep side and say, let's let's ask the tough questions. Let's talk about things like me, too. Let's talk about God, sex in your marriage, which is what we're going to talk about today. So can you tell us just a little bit about for maybe some of the new listeners who've who've not uh, maybe uh, heard you on the program or know of your work with Authentic Intimacy, can you share with us a little bit about your ministry and maybe just what's happening right now uh, with AI? Yeah, um, I would love to. Yeah, I have to smile when you say that I don't live in the shallow end. My husband says I live in the submarine. <laughs> so his job is to you know knock on the door and say, come on, Julie, come up for air every now and then. Um, so yeah, I do really like to get down into the weeds of things and ask the hard questions. Um, yeah, Authentic Intimacy is uh, 10 years old now. We celebrated our birthday this past summer. And really what we do is we help people navigate sexual issues from a Christian perspective. And so um, so we're tackling every topic related to sexuality, to intimacy, intimacy with God, um, sexual brokenness, and uh Interestingly enough, we started as a women's ministry, Jonathan, and over time it's become an everybody ministry. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't intentional. It just, we had more and more men that were engaging with us and more and more speaking events that were for the whole church, not just for women's groups. And um, it's been, it's just been amazing to see the Lord work and him guiding um, we've developed a leader platform that is just for Christian leaders, teaching them how to sexually disciple um, the people that God has given them to lead. So uh, I just wake up every day and say, okay, Lord, what's next? Um, this year, this past year has been a lot about marriage with the God, Sex, and Your Marriage book and um, some other marriage work. But 
it's just been a, a quite a journey. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really neat to see how God has just opened so many doors for, for you and the, and the work that you all are doing at, at Authentic Intimacy. Um, today, I wanted to talk about this book, God, Sex, and Your Marriage. I'm, for our viewers, I'm holding it up here. This is uh, your most recent book that you that came out in the last year. And um, I guess first, I want to just ask, you know, why did you write this book and, and who is it really aimed at? Who is it for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this book came out of a previous book that I had written called Rethinking Sexuality. And rethinking sexuality was making the case that we have not talked in a helpful way about sexuality and Christian communities and how that needs to change. And a lot of what our ministry has been built on is this idea that in order to understand sexuality, we have to understand the link to the metaphor of God's covenant love. And that's kind of a heady concept, but we spend a lot of time in our ministry breaking that down and understanding kind of the spiritual backdrop of our sexuality. And so this particular book, God, Sex, and Your Marriage, is applying that principle directly to marriage. Um, Because what I've found over years of ministry is that most married Christians cannot answer the question, what does God say a good sex life is supposed to look like? So if you ask them that, you know, the husband might have a few answers like, well, sex is fun or it's pleasurable. The wife might have an answer like, you don't cheat on me. Like they're hitting on pieces of it, but they can't articulate what are we actually supposed to be working toward? And I know in your ministry, Jonathan, you're working with a lot of couples that have experienced sexual addiction or infidelity. Mm -hmm. And the obvious answer is, well, we've got to get rid of the sin. But beyond that, what does maturity look like? What is redemption and wholeness look like. And, uh, and so I wanted to write a book that took that idea of the definition of sexual wholeness is God's covenant love and really put practical application to that. Yeah. And before we get into some of the, some of the specifics in the book, I, you, you, you mentioned that question that so many couples, Christian couples would maybe just Mm -hmm. not be able to answer, not know how to answer. One of the things that I think is underneath that, I'd like to get your thoughts on this, is just the separation, even within the church, of God and sex. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Or how how has that come to be? That there's just yeah. such, like, these two things cannot be said in the same sentence. And yet, God's the creator of sex. How did that happen? Mm-hmm. Or why is that such, uh, why is there such a division between God and sex in people's minds, especially even in the church? I've heard a lot of great explanations for that, even as we look at church history and we look at philosophy, like the idea of kind of our bodies being bad and the spiritual parts of us being sanctified or holy parts. And so any of our physical or bodily urges are not holy. Um, And so that is a line of thinking that I think has been in the Western culture that philosophers can go back and say, hey, this is where this became prominent Uh, and kind of misguided us. But I think there's a lot of other answers to that. I think it's the fact that we don't talk about sex in the church. Um, We get very uncomfortable to talk graphically about our sexuality in any Christian type setting, even if it's very common to talk about it in every other setting. And so there becomes this assumption that 
well, if Christians don't talk about sex, if pastors don't talk about it, about it at all, then God must not have much to say about it. Um, and then, you know, I think very clearly sex is a spiritual battle. And if the enemy wants to win a spiritual battle, if he takes God out of the battle, then he's already won. Mm -hmm. And so if, if married couples don't pray about their sex life or they try to navigate it just in their own wisdom and strength, they're going to be outgunned every time. Um, so I think some of this is the enemy really reinforcing that separation and making us feel like sex is shameful. You know, God has nothing to say about it or he can't redeem your brokenness. Um, so I think those are some of the things that have contributed. Yeah. Well, and if you think about it too, from the very beginning, God's first institution that he created to share, to sh display the fullness of his image was husband and wife, right? Mm -hmm. In marriage and saying the two becoming one. And it would only serve to reason then that the enemy of God would say, how can I make sure that that gets divided, distorted, destroyed in some way? And one of the best ways to do it is, man, just get people totally immersed in all kinds of sexual brokenness. And then very quickly, you start to think that the sexual brokenness is the normal way in which we were created to function. And so therefore, that's going to push God further out. Uh, but you're mm -hmm. right. There's so many aspects to that. The bottom line is that um, God and sex do go together, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, you 100%. mentioned in your book, and I, I definitely want to get to these four pillars that you talk about for a great sex life, but obviously pillars are built on a foundation. So mm -hmm. can you share with us what, what is kind of the major foundation that you try to lay in this book for understanding God's sex in your marriage? Yeah. So I kind of use the metaphor, I guess it's mixing metaphor be between pillars and puzzles, but I use the metaphor of the puzzle throughout the book because I like to do jigsaw puzzles and it, it was just something that came to my mind. As I do puzzles, I'm consistently referring to the front of the puzzle box. So I might get a puzzle that has 2000 pieces and I pick up each piece and I look at that picture that it's meant to create. And that gives me a reference point of where do I put this piece? Where does it fit with the rest of them? And in my own experience of marriage and in working with so many other people, I think most people are picking up these pieces of their sex life and they have no picture to orient them. Mm. And so they just say, well, we must be broken because I, I don't know where to put sexual pain in our sex life. I don't know what to do with your past trauma. You know, I don't, I don't know what wholeness looks like. And so I talk about how the front of the, the puzzle box is Christ's relationship with the church. And the scripture very clearly says that both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that marriage and sexuality are pictures of God's love for his covenant people. And so that really is that foundation. That's that's the backdrop that we have to look at every sexual aspect through the lens of. Um, and so that really sets up the four pillars because if the picture we're creating is God's love for his covenant people, well then what do we know about God's covenant love? And how does that directly apply to defining for us what we should actually be working towards in marital sexuality. Mm -hmm. And so um, what are some of the, 
What, what is some of the pushback that maybe couples have on you even inviting them kind of into this space of saying, hey, you know what? There is actually mm-hmm. a, a puzzle. There is actually mm-hmm. this picture. And God, in his sovereign grace, is going to take all the pieces of your life and he's able to actually bring it about into mm-hmm. that picture. What do you say to couples that say, I... I just, I don't even know how to cross that threshold. I don't even know how to think in those terms that all of my brokenness, all these things could somehow uh, fit together in God's sovereign grace in my life. How, how would you respond to couples who maybe are struggling with that? Yeah, I think first of all, you know, couples at some level begin to feel some hope. Like even if they, they can't get a clear picture of it, it's like, really, there is some reality in which I might be able to make sense of everything we're walking through. Like, please tell me that's true. But when you ask what the pushback is, I think there there are a few of them. First of all, when you've trained yourself for decades to separate God and sex, to begin to integrate those two concepts for a lot of people is just like, my brain can't go there. Uh, there's almost, for some people, like a visceral reaction. Either they feel mm-hmm. like that's somehow a sacrilegious statement or they just, their experience of sexuality has been so horrific that to bring the concept of a good God into that is just a hurdle that feels impossible for them to get over. Um, I would say a second thing is shame, which I know you deal with a lot in the ministry that you have of you know, I'm too broken to be forgiven. Mm-hmm. I've done too much damage. This can never be redeemed, which is a lie of the enemy. Um, and then I think a third thing is this idea of my sexuality having something to do with God's covenant love takes a long time for you to get your mind around. It's just like, and Paul even says in Ephesians chapter five, like this is a mystery. Mm-hmm. It's it's a mystery that's being revealed and it can be revealed to us in our own personal journey, but it's going to start out feeling like a mystery. Like that's intriguing, but I don't understand it. And so there's a journey of, of really accepting it and beginning to understand it in a way that makes sense to people. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned, you talk about hope starting to kind of be birthed in these couples. And I think one of the things that you do in the book really well, that gives some maybe even handlebars to hope are these four pillars. Cause you do give some very concrete ideas of like, okay, what are these pillars of a great sex life according to God's design? So can you share with us what the four pillars are? And then maybe we can kind of go into each one and, and you can unpack it a little bit more for us. Sure. I'd love to. Um, so when we look at God's covenant love, we see these four things throughout the scripture. The first one is that a covenant is always based in faithfulness. And so you really can't build anything else in covenant without faithfulness. So that's the first pillar. The second pillar is it's a journey of intimate knowing. And so when we look at our relationship with God, it should be an ongoing journey of being known and knowing God. And the same is true in our sexual relationship. The third pillar is that there's an element of sacrificial love, um, that everything about covenant love speaks of Love, love kind of overcoming our selfishness that, mm-hmm. that God gave, that Jesus laid his life down. And so that's also going to be reflected in a healthy sex life that we love each other sacrificially. And then the fourth pillar is passionate celebration. 
that the scripture is filled with commands that we're joyful, that we celebrate, that we rejoice in the Lord, um, that we praise him. And the same is true of a healthy sex life, that it should be a regular celebration of our covenant. Um, So those are the four pillars that I unpack in the book. Yeah. So let's dive into them. Uh, Faithfulness. Uh, You know, um, I, I love how you obviously root all of this in the covenant love of God. How does faithfulness exhibit itself in the development of a great sex life in a marriage? Yeah, I I don't know about you, but when I was reflecting as I wrote this book, it dawned on me that for pretty much every book I've ever read on marriage or sexuality, faithfulness or the lack of it is sort of like a special topic. So somebody will write a book on sex, what your sex life is, is supposed to look like, and then there'll be this kind of special section for couples that are struggling through infidelity or pornography. Mm-hmm. And the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, no, like we all need to be taught about faithfulness because none of us come into marriage with the kind of character that exhibits a true faithfulness. Uh, we usually come into marriage with the mentality of a contract where, hey, I'm getting married because I expect you to meet this need, this need, and this need, and I'll try to meet this need for you. Uh, And when that doesn't happen, we begin to become unsafe with each other. And so faithfulness, without a doubt, means sexual fidelity, but it means so much more than that. It means uh, the commitment that I'm not going anywhere. Like This is for life, uh, and my heart is for you. And so when we look at our relationship with God, boy, our our whole faith is based on his faithfulness. Uh, If he isn't who he says he is, if we can't trust his word, then we have nothing. And the same is true in our marriage relationship that you can read a million books on sex and learn technique and communication. But if your character isn't solid, you you have nothing to build on. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I think this particular pillar, honestly, Julie, can't be overemphasized um, because it is so critical. You know, even as you were speaking of that, and I was thinking of of the radical covenant love of God, the first thought that came to me was when he made covenant with Abraham. And it was Mm -hmm. like, he says, I'm covering both sides of this covenant. Like, I'm making my promise, and then I'm taking on your responsibility too. It's like, I am fully committed beyond just a contract. Like I am in this thing fully to where my whole being, my whole reputation, everything about me is in. And I think mm-hmm. if we're to be reflections of the character of God in that way in our marriage, absolutely. We can't have little breadcrumbs over here or some kind of back door. It's like there has to be fully, like you said, beyond even the sexual component, like a full commitment and a full I mean, I'm all in. There's a sense of, um, there's no, I guess you could say there's, there's no back door here, right? I'm going to be mm-hmm. totally in on this. Um, yeah. I, one thing I would like to do, Julie, if you're open to it, is maybe as we go through each of these, if you're willing, what does this look like for you in your own marriage? As, as you've kind of sought to live into these principles and these pillars with your husband. Yeah. Um, you know, one story that I that I tell in the book is I talk about our honeymoon and our honeymoon did not go as planned. 
and many couples are going to like identify with this. You mm -hmm. just Google honeymoon stories gone wrong someday and you'll like be like, wow, you know, honeymoons don't usually go the way you think they will. But, um, but we were actually not able to consummate our marriage um, for the first five or six days of our honeymoon. And Mike and I were understandably frustrated, disappointed. And uh, towards the end of our honeymoon, like that started to, we started to turn on each other, like just get like mad at each other, not outright blaming, but we started going our separate directions emotionally. And we were honeymooning at his parents' cabin in Tennessee. And it was this little cabin in the woods. There's nowhere to go. And I remember us both being so frustrated and kind of going to the furthest corners of this cabin that we could, like get as much distance as we could. And um, after about 20 minutes, I remember looking over at Mike and he was reading the Bible. And I thought, well, that's good. Maybe God will speak to him like, and shape him up, you know, but, but eventually a few minutes later, Mike came over to me and he put his arm around me and he just said, Julie, you know, I know we're both disappointed. This is not what we thought our honeymoon would be like, but hey, we've got the rest of our lives to work on this. And, you know, I just want you to know I'm not going anywhere. Mm. And when, when I reflect back, I have a terrible memory, Jonathan, but there are some things I do remember. I remember that moment because it was so pivotal in showing me like, can I, can I trust myself with my husband? Mm. And I think those early years in marriage, you're really asking that question of, can I trust you? Can I trust you with disappointment? Can I trust you with the worst of me? Are you, go are you with me? Are you going somewhere? Are you going to see some flaw in me? And as you said, look for the back door. Uh, and so there certainly have been times over the years where both Mike and I have not responded well in those moments. And when we don't respond well in those moments, there's a lot of repairing to do. Mm. But when we respond well in those moments, like, and I think we can all think in marriage of times where we were particularly vulnerable and our spouse met us with love and unconditional commitment. And it was like, your intimacy went to a deeper level. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, fortunately, particularly over the last 10 or 15 years, I feel like we've just learned so much more about what it is to be faithful and what it is to trust each other and to become trustworthy. Um, and again, this is something that we all need to grow in. And so, you know, there are people listening where you're the one who has the sexual addiction, you're the one that has a pornography problem. And it's obvious to you where you need to grow in faithfulness. But there's also the spouse who needs to be asking the Lord, what does faithfulness look like in the situation that I'm in? What do I do with my pain? What do I do with my hurt? What does it look like to have boundaries, but walk with faithfulness to the covenant that I promised? Um, and so I feel like this is a wrestling for all of us of how do we walk out marriage in a way that's reflective of God's love for us? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love the way that even just by definition, faithfulness takes time. There's going to, there yeah. has to be a time element to it. Mm -hmm. So let's talk then about the second pillar that you mentioned, intimate knowing. Uh, mm -hmm. How does this apply and, and how does this work? How is this worked out in a marriage? Yeah, I, I think most married couples confuse sexual activity with sexual intimacy. Mm. So even the way we tend to talk about marriage in church, it is around the activity. 
So, uh, so first Corinthians seven says that you should be having sex regularly. Like I'm kind of saying, these are, these are the, the things I've heard in church. It's about how often are you having sex? And if there are problems, the problems are the sex isn't good, or I'm not attracted to my spouse anymore. That's all activity. That's what our bodies are doing. Instead of what I really believe God designed covenant for, which is intimacy. It's a journey of knowing each other more deeply. And so uh, what we learn is that when activity breaks down, we have an invitation to intimacy. So mm. let's compare this to our relationship with God. Um, I was recently speaking at a conference. There are probably 600 people there. And I said, how many of you would say that your intimacy with the Lord became the deepest during a, a time of trial? All these hands went up. Like mm -hmm. I didn't count them, but it was pretty much everybody. And then I asked, how many of you would say that your intimacy with the Lord was forged most deeply on the mountaintop, like when things were going well, not a single person raised their hand. So what does that teach us? It teaches us that when there are challenges, we have this invitation to go deep. And I think for most married couples, when they have a challenge in their sex life, what they're doing is they're saying, well, this is broken. It's not working. We're giving up instead of saying, what if this were actually an invitation to a deeper level of knowing each other? And so even in the work that you're doing at Be Broken with discovery of what does sex mean to me and what would it be like for me to be able to share my shame with another human being? And how do I talk through my disappointment and my, my wounds from being betrayed? Like when a couple gets to that level where they're talking about the meaning underneath it all, now they're forging intimacy. And, uh, and the same could be said for any trial that you face in your sex life. Uh, and I know that this is your story with Elaine, like the intimacy that you two have been able to forge because of what you've been through mm -hmm. uh, is so much greater than the intimacy that you would have if you had never faced that trial. Yeah. And the, the irony to me is that, and this is just how I've experienced, I'm not saying, you know, whenever we tell our stories, we try to say it's descriptive, not prescriptive. Right. Mm -hmm. But uh, a lot of times when I'm talking to young guys that are newly married and they're maybe just struggling with all of the sexual brokenness issues. Um, the irony to me is that the, the more my wife and I have developed true intimacy in our overall relationship, the actual sexual activity is enhanced in a way that couldn't right. be like that if these other pain points and these other things of struggle and trial and working through those things did not exist in our relationship. Mm -hmm. So I love the fact that you're saying there's this beautiful invitation in all of those pain points for a deeper, deeper level of intimate knowing with one another. Um, mm -hmm. And isn't that exactly what uh, God does with us when he says that we are to share in Christ's sufferings. Mm -hmm. There's a sense in which through suffering for the Lord Jesus, we are actually being invited into a deeper intimacy with the father. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's when our formulas break down and life isn't working the way we thought it should. That's when we go to God and we're like, who are you really? And are you with me? And mm -hmm. that's when we begin hearing his voice at a deep, at a deeper level. 
And I think that is entirely possible within marriages as they're processing infidelity and infertility and uh, recovery from trauma. And my body is broken. It's this invitation of let's work on our souls connecting, not just our bodies. Mm -hmm. Well, that takes us to the pillar three, sacrificial Mm -hmm. love. Uh, This has got to be you know, probably the favorite pillar for everybody, right? The whole oh, sacrificial yeah. no, part. No one says they love this one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but you know why I think it's so important, Jonathan, is because like I said earlier, if you have puzzle pieces that don't fit, it's it's hopeless. But if you can begin to say, wow, like even this is a part of God's gift to me, that can be redeemed. And that gives us hope. And so, um, you know, the way I set this one up is... Yeah, I do a lot of speaking to Christian singles and we are notorious in the church for talking to Christian singles about self-denial and about, um, you know, like not all your sexual needs and desires and fantasies need to be met for you to be a whole person. But then a Christian single gets married with this assumption that, okay, now like I, I have free reign, um, to have whatever sexual, drive, desire, need, fantasy, whatever you want to call it to be met with in marriage. And then they start to realize that like married sex is not always easy. And you might be married to a spouse who doesn't love sex, um, doesn't want it as often as you do, or maybe wants it more often than you do. Uh, Doesn't like the same things you like. Uh, His or her body responds differently than yours. And you're like, what gives God? You know, like you promised me that If I got married, I could have this and I don't have it. Uh, And I think we need to go back and look at where we believe that that promise is coming from, because it's really not biblical. Whether you are single or married, God is forming in you the character of Christ. And the character of Christ involves humility, self-denial, self-control, focusing on the good, being a gracious person. And so we have to go into married sex saying that that's going to be baked into the cake. The disappointment Mm -hmm. may be very disappointing, but God intends to redeem that by making us people that know how to love each other well. Um, And so even though nobody would pick this pillar as their favorite, it gives deep meaning and purpose to, as you mentioned before, the suffering that can come through. Um, through brokenness and through unmet expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love you know these all those character commands that were given in the New Testament did not come with like a uh, relationship status caveat, right? I mean, it's Mm-mm. across no. the board. This is the kind of character that God wants yeah. to develop in His people, whether married or single. And so there's mm-hmm. there's a great beauty that can come in that sacrificial uh, love within a marriage. So this last one then is passionate celebration. So share with us how this aspect of the covenant love of God can then be woven into the great sex life in a, in a married couple. Yeah. So I want you to picture with me, Jonathan, a Christian that, you know, that has absolutely no joy. Do you know somebody like that? That just kind of is somber all the time Mm -hmm. is like duty bound. Yeah. Is that person a great witness for Christ? (laughs) Rarely. <laughs> yeah. 
if ever. If ever, yeah. <laughs> you know, unless it's like Isaiah, you know, like the weeping prophet, you know, somebody or Jeremiah or somebody who that's their calling to to give a hard message. But in reality, like one of our greatest witnesses for Christ is the fruits of the Holy Spirit, including the joy and the peace, you know, that mm-hmm. God gives us. And again, as I mentioned earlier, there's so many commands about us being joyful people, not happy people, but joyful people, offering always sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. Um, And when you think about the purpose of our gatherings on Sundays, it's not supposed to be just about the sermon. It's the bride of Christ gathering together to sing our praises to him, to reflect on the beauty of our God, to celebrate together our covenant with our God. And it involves singing, it involves prayer, it involves in some cases, dancing. It's its mm-hmm. this passionate celebration of who God is. And God has designed marital sex to be very similar in that we are told to regularly celebrate our covenant with our bodies. And even the chemical cocktail that's released in our brains signifies that. It's a party. It's dopamine and oxytocin and adrenaline and all the same things that we experience when we party. Uh, being mm-hmm. intoxicated with each other's love. And so we see this theme throughout scripture, not just in our relationship with God, but also a very important aspect of what healthy sexuality is meant to look like. Yeah, that's so good. Well, Julie, as we kind of wrap up today, what what do you hope that readers really come away with? Or what do you hope is kind of the next steps that readers would take in, after reading this book? Yeah, I hope that readers get an idea of what maturity looks like in their sex lives. And some people are going to feel like, wow, in some ways that's discouraging because we've got a lot of work to do. But um, but I would encourage you to take hope that this is a journey. Like anything else, maturity isn't something that you had, you didn't have yesterday, but you have today. It's something that you continually take steps towards. And so I love to see when couples will say, all right, well, this year we've really worked on this pillar of intimate knowing, or Mm. um, this really gives us a context for understanding some of the suffering that we're going through and how we can see the beauty in it. Um, So that's really what I hope is that that couples will get that vision for what God is doing and then have tangible ways that they can take steps. Yeah. Well, this has been so good. Uh, Julie, where can people find out more about the book and just Authentic Intimacy and all the other resources that you all have? Yeah, you can find everything that we do at AuthenticIntimacy.com. Yeah. Well, Julie, thank you for continuing to be a strong and leading voice in this uh, space of ministry and just continuing to bring us great resources like this that are going to help couples and really I believe that can uh, benefit generations because as these couples really begin to uh, establish these kinds of pillars within their marriage, it's going to have effect on children and grandchildren. And uh, so we hope that generational trees can even be changed as a result of these kinds of resources coming into families. So thank you for uh, producing this kind of content for people. Well, thanks, Jonathan. And thanks for giving me an opportunity to share about it today. Yeah. Well, listeners, we're going to put all that information in the show notes. So please check out the book and Authentic Intimacy. And we're so glad that you continue to journey with us. If you'd like help in determining what your next best step is on your journey, please reach out to us. And we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio Program.
Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.